0: Word of God comes to us this evening from Luke chapter 2. I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we're actually going to begin our reading at verse 40, 40 through the end of the chapter, under the heading of Respecting Authority, Respecting Authority from Luke chapter 2, and then we'll turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 39 as we'll consider the fifth commandment. Luke 2, beginning in verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And when he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here ends the reading of God's Word this evening. And then we'll turn to Lord's Day 39 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found on page 246 of the Forms and Prayers. and We'll consider God's will for us in the Fifth Commandment. Lord's Day 39. Question 104, what is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, and all those in authority over me, submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings, for by their hand God wills to rule us. Well, blessed congregation, Christians have historically understood the Ten Commandments to be divided into two what we call tables. The first four commandments are what we call the first table, which has to do with our vertical obligations to God. The second table, the latter sixth commandment, deals with what we call our horizontal relationships with our neighbors. And so as we continue our evening study, living for God through the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment marks the transition from the first table to the second table. It marks the transition from our obligations to God, and now we'll be considering our obligations to our neighbors. And I want to say something at the get-go this evening. The first commandment is the foundation of that first table. That you shall have no other gods before me is the foundation of the first four commandments. And the fifth commandment is the foundation of the latter six We don't often think about it this way, but the commandment to honor your father and mother is the first and most important commandment regarding loving others and all the parents said, Amen. And what I mean by this is that the child-parent relationship defines and shapes all other relationships that we have in our lives. For instance, if you come across a kind and considerate and capable child, you know that those values were instilled in them by their parents. When someone is hardworking, considerate, respectful, we owe a debt of gratitude to their parents if I can speak from personal experience, I know that the older I get, the more I see my mother in me. It's the first relationship that we have. And it is one of the most important relationships in our lives as we mature. But this commandment, the fifth commandment, is so much more than clean up your room. The fifth commandment is so much more than take out the trash the first time dad asks. The Heidelberg Catechism notes that this commandment is really speaking to the subject of authority. We learn from our parents how to listen to people we learn from our parents how to honor somebody who has authority over you. We learn from our parents that sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do. Mom and dads teach their kids respect, obedience, love, and protection. So much so, Augustine famously said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will not spare? and boys and girls who are here this evening. I know that your parents aren't always right. There's no such thing as perfect parents. If I can speak on behalf of parents this evening, we make mistakes. Parents sin. We may even lead you the wrong way sometimes but the fifth commandment calls us to still honor our parents, even in their weakness. And Nowhere is this better put on display than in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was God Himself. Jesus is perfect, never sinned, and yet still is said to have submitted to His heavenly Father, and submitted to His earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. That's our theme for our time together this evening. Jesus honors God by devoting Himself to God's house and to His parents' instruction. I want to show you this in two points. Jesus' obedience to His heavenly Father and Jesus' obedience to His earthly parents. Let's look first at Jesus' obedience to His heavenly Father. This evening, I want to consider with you the boyhood of Jesus. This passage is actually very interesting because it spans the whole first 30 years of Jesus' life. If you look at verse 40, the first verse we read this evening, it's actually describing the first 12 years Jesus was on earth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then Luke tells us about the temple incident when Jesus was 12, and then verse 52 spans that final 18 years of Jesus' life. He increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Notice first Jesus' childhood, from birth to 12 years old. He grew, He became strong, filled with wisdom. And allow me to say something that is very profound this evening. What this means is that Jesus' childhood was normal. Jesus developed like every child develops. This is something very important for us to affirm because He was fully man from the beginning. Boys and girls, just like you needed to grow up, so did Jesus. Follow that same pattern of growth. You had to learn how to breastfeed, so did Jesus need to learn how to breastfeed. You had to learn how to sleep through the night, So did Jesus need to learn how to sleep through the night. His parents were delighted when He took His first steps. When He said Abba, the Aramaic word for Father that first time. He scraped His knee. He played outside. William Hendrickson says, in His humanity, He had to learn. He had to grow up. That's what becoming strong means. He grew up physically. But there's something else Jesus grew in. Something that makes Him different than us. Luke says that He was filled with wisdom. And I don't think Luke is referring to knowledge here. Two plus two equals four. Although Jesus did have to learn all of those things as well. But the wisdom that Luke is referring to often in the Bible is referring to God's plan of salvation. In the Bible, wisdom often means salvation. Job 28, verse 28, Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. To turn from evil is understanding. James 3, verse 17, But the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere, what Luke is describing is not just that Jesus grows in His humanity, but He also grows in His understanding of God's plan for His life. He had to grow in His understanding of the Messianic mission. He learned why God sent Him. Which is why the book of Hebrews says he learns obedience through the, thing that he, through the things that he suffered. That is, in his humanity, there was a real growth and maturation of his call as prophet, priest, and king. Why this is so important is because this temple narrative is the only description of the life of Christ in his first 30 years. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John only record one instance of Jesus as a child, and it's here. And what we see is that Jesus knows who he is, he knows why he is there. He has come to obey his heavenly Father. And so there's this famous story in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover as they did every year. An 80 mile journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. They come down bringing Jesus and Luke tells us that he is 12 years old. In accordance with the law which taught that every Jewish man needed to attend the Passover. And so as they're planning to depart, what they find is in the chaos of it all, they forget a child. How many of us have forgotten a child somewhere? You know how it happens. In the chaos of buckling somebody in, giving that kid their blankie so they fall asleep on the ride home, making sure that the kids in the back stop fighting, we miss one and drive down the road. See, Luke is describing here that this is happening at the feast. Now, very little is said here, but you need to know that this feast was full of hustle and bustle. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews would have been flooding the streets of Jerusalem. In fact, so many sacrifices were given during the Passover week. Some historians think a quarter of a million animals were slaughtered during Passover. So, you have the people in the streets, the bleeding of animals being slaughtered. The blood is being sprinkled on the tabernacle. The priests are blowing their trumpets and singing the psalms. It's in that context that the family is departing to go home. And we read the drama picks up in verse 43. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Jesus. Chooses not to go with the caravan. He made a choice not to return to Nazareth. But Luke never for a moment suggests that this is disobedience. He never for a moment gives the inclination that this is irresponsibility. Nothing in this text even suggests that it's the parents' fault. Instead, what I want to suggest to you is that Jesus is doing exactly what He's supposed to do. He is being responsible. He is being obedient. He is being sensitive. He is being perfect. But what we're seeing is that His allegiance is not first and foremost to His parents. Jesus' allegiance is first and foremost to His heavenly Father. Verse 49 I must be in my Father's house. First and foremost, Jesus obeyed his heavenly Father. And, boys and girls, in the fifth commandment, when it says honor your father and mother, this means that you should do what they ask you clean your room, cut your lawn, do your catechism homework. But Jesus shows us here that when we have a choice between honoring God and we have a choice between honoring our parents, we must honor God. Especially if our parents ask us to do something that God forbids. If your parents ask you to gossip about someone at church or at school, it is better for you to obey God than it is to obey a man even if that person's your father or your mother. If your parents ask you to steal or cheat, it is better to obey God than man. The call to honor God is not a carte blanche, you have to do everything that they say, but you are actually called to honor God by honoring your parents. And God is never honored by sin. But what we see in this story, Mary and Joseph find out that Jesus is not with the caravan. After they traveled one day's journey, the people who would have lived in Nazareth would have traveled together. We think that the, woman, the women would have been at the front and the men would have been at the back and you could see how this could happen. Mary says Jesus isn't here. He must be with Joseph. Joseph says Jesus isn't here. He must be with Mary or with His cousins with somebody else. And then finally, Joseph and Mary meet up and they say, you don't have Him? I thought you had Him. And the panic ensues. And so they spend one day traveling, one day traveling back, and then one day looking for Jesus. Three days they misplaced the Son of God. Finally, they come to the temple. And they see Him sitting there with the teachers. Asking questions, instructing them. And I can hear my own mother's voice in verse 48. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You can imagine that she was filled with guilt over those three days. How worried mom must have been here. The anxiety that she would have had, and she projects this on Jesus. How could you do this to me? She thinks that that perfect son who has never disobeyed, never sinned for 12 years, this is his first infraction. She's thinking he's he's disobeyed her, and he has sinned against her. But he's not hiding, is he? He isn't defying them. He hasn't been disobeying them. He didn't mean to be disrespectful. Look at what he says. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? This is the crux of the passage. Yahweh, not Joseph, is His true Father. Jerusalem, not Nazareth, is His true home. His fellow believers are His brothers and sisters in Christ. His ultimate allegiance, His ultimate obedience is not to any earthly authority. It's to the highest authority, His Heavenly Father. And so are we called in Christ to obey God rather than men. There's a famous story in Acts when the apostles are arrested and they are charged by the Jewish leaders of the synagogue at that time. They charge them not to preach Christ. And they said, we must obey God rather than men. What a call this is to the persecuted church. What a call this is to us to continue to be faithful to what God has asked us to. Even when the odds are against us. Should the time of persecution come, we must obey God rather than men. Should our parents or any authority seek to sway us from the things of God, we must obey God, not men. The little boy Jesus exemplifies what it means to obey your heavenly Father. Put His commands first not second, not third. We must obey Him. And parents, be reminded here that your children have a higher authority than you. Simeon said to Mary a few chapters earlier, he said that this little boy will thrust a sword through your heart. Don't you think that's how she's feeling right now? God is my Father. He is my highest allegiance. She is learning already. I have to let this kid go. I can't hold on to him forever. And parenting in many ways is about letting your kids go. Let them go to school. Let them go to college. Let them go to, spou- to a spouse. But remember, mom and dads, that the best things you can give your children to is God. Even in our baptismal liturgy, we confess when we baptize our children that they don't ultimately belong to us. They belong to Him. There is a higher authority than us. And so we might think, let's move to our second point, Jesus' obedience to His earthly parents. We might think, well, since there's a higher authority, I guess I don't have to obey my parents anymore. What God the Father tells Jesus to do, Jesus does. What God the Father says, Jesus says. But does this mean that He no longer has to obey Mary and Joseph any longer? Look at verse 51. He went down with them, and He came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Don't miss this this evening. Our obedience... And devotion to God should lead us to obedience and devotion to our parents our obedience and devotion to God should lead us to obedience and devotion to our parents we need to get this this evening that notwithstanding Jesus' special relationship to his heavenly father, he is still a dutiful and obedient son to Mary and Joseph. Well, you could just say, well, they don't understand. They were wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just doing what God tells me to do, and then they're projecting their frustration on me. Well, they're out of touch. The rules don't make any sense. Have you said these complaints before? Whatever excuses Jesus could have had for disobeying Joseph and Mary, which would have been legit, He still chose to submit. He is exemplifying the spirit of the fifth commandment that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother. And so we are called to honor our parents in the same way. Not because they are inherently worthy of honor, not because they're perfect or always right, but because God is the one calling us to honor them. Ephesians 6, verse 1, write this down, says, We are to obey our parents in the Lord. Just like Jesus, it's actually part of our religious devotion to honor our moms and dads. Paul says in Colossians, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so the inverse is, if we disobey our parents, it does not please the Lord. God is the one calling you to honor your parents. Not Pastor London. Not your mom or dad or grandparents. This isn't a system of patriarchy. It's God who has called you. Now we need to do something here. We need to define what honor means. Look at the fifth commandment. It doesn't say that you have to like your parents. I hope you do, but that's not what it says. It doesn't even say that you need to be friends with your parents. But it says you need to honor them. Honor, John Calvin says, is threefold. Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. You see, your parents, boys and girls this evening, your parents are very aware of their own inadequacies. There are many nights that parents go to bed with guilt. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just acted like that. I always said when I was a teenager, I wouldn't be like my mom, and here I am. But the fifth commandment calls us to reverence our parents. Not because they are perfect, but because God has asked us to. They are put in a position of honor. The Hebrew word for honor is kavod, which means glory. There's a weight to being a parent. It is a great office. It's a great responsibility. So we reverence them. And we're called to submit to them with proper obedience, the catechism says. Simply put, when we're part of our parents' households, we should do what they ask us to do. This commandment implies then that mom and dad, your children are not servants who have to um, obey every beck and call and that we have a whole bunch of them so they can clean out the barn or whatever. But through our commands, we are actually called to teach our kids. When you as a mom or a dad say clean your room, teach them the value of responsibility. When your dad says, hey, be nice to your sister, he is instructing you on how a woman should be treated. But there's a caveat here. Parents should not expect obedience in the same way from grown children. It has to be said. See, the Bible begins in Genesis 2 with a marriage. And God says in Genesis 2, verse 29, that a man shall leave, 24, excuse me, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It is a gross misunderstanding of leaving and cleaving if children prioritize their parents' wishes over their spouse. Of course, when we grow up, we should make an effort to be in our parents' lives. We should still obey their wishes when they are good wishes. But parents, hear me today, never drive a wedge between your kids and their spouses. We are called to reverence them. We are called to obey our parents when appropriate. And third, Calvin says, we must show gratitude. You know, contrary to popular belief, Boys and girls your parents actually love to do nice things for you. I like to see my kids happy. I like to give them good things. But we don't understand this when we're kids, but the life of a parent is actually one of sacrifice. Sacrifice of time, money, energy and sleep. And so allow me to say on behalf of parents that a simple thank you can go a long ways. Gratitude is one of the chief ways we can honor our parents who sacrifice so much for us. This is what Christ is doing by going home and submitting to His parents. He is reverencing them. He is obeying them. And He is being thankful for what they do. Parents, a word for you. Do not lose heart when you fail to see your children exhibit these qualities. Your children may not see the sacrifices you have made. They may not see everything that you have to put into their lives, but God sees it and it is producing a reward for you in heaven. We are called to do things that are often unseen as parents, but the Lord knows all. And He often uses ordinary parents to produce extraordinary results. Finally, I want to draw our attention here to Jesus' patience. What an amazing child this is. At twelve years old, he's learnt, he is aware, excuse me, of his calling to be the Messiah. He is God incarnate. He has astounded the teachers with his wisdom. And we read in verse 50 Mary and Joseph just don't understand. Even with Gabriel and the dreams and the wise men and the angels and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they still just don't get it. What I'm trying to say is that they're not perfect. But Jesus is patient. They're not perfect parents. They sinned. Jesus forgave. They didn't understand. He was patient. They freaked out on him when he was obeying his Heavenly Father. And he was submissive. And so, if you have parents this evening, I want you to pay attention to me for a moment. That when your parents screw up, and they will, forgive them. Forgive them. Now parents, you know what this means, right? When you screw up, You need to humble yourself and you need to ask for forgiveness. Don't seek forgiveness without repentance. I know what it's like to be a parent, it can be easy to justify our actions and our words because we're the boss. But as parents, we are called to show our children what humility and penitence look like. And children, even if your parents have hurt you badly, maybe your parents have shattered your trust, the cross of Christ forgave Joseph and Mary just as much as it forgave you and me. And so parents, there is homework tonight. If there is unresolved sin between you and your children, I'm calling you this evening to deal with it. Do whatever you have to. Call a family meeting. Take your children by the hand. And if you need to, with tears in your eyes, apologize and ask for their forgiveness. And children, you can be like Christ to your parents. To be about your heavenly Father's business. For His business is... To forgive. Honoring your father and your mother is a serious commandment. In the Old Testament, it was punishable by death. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, bring him to the men of the city and they will stone him to death, says Deuteronomy. But that's what makes the story of the prodigal son so beautiful. Instead of taking his son to the elders, he runs to his son and showers him with graces. The principle cuts both ways. Be patient with your, fam- your parents' failings and parents show grace when your children fail. There's no such thing as perfect parents. There's no such thing as a perfect family. And I love the way Abraham Kuyper put it. The family is a little church, a collection of sinners saved by Grace. We are a collection of sinners saved by grace. And so we learn that through our parents it is God's will to rule us. They are His divine agents in each and every one of our lives. May we submit to them as our Lord Jesus submitted to His parents. May we forgive them as the Lord Jesus has forgiven us and as the Lord Jesus forgave them. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that for each and every one of us, You have given us parents. We thank You that, Lord, by their hand, You show us responsibility, You show us how much You care. And in a good family, You show us how much You love. And so, Father, I ask Your blessing upon the families of Trinity United Reformed Church. Strengthen and encourage them this Lord's Day to do the work that You call them to to forgive one another as You have forgave, to listen, to obey, to reverence. Father, we thank You for all these things. In Jesus' name, Amen.